Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond because we're over here on the east side of the United States uh, recording this. And we're on every week at this time. What we love talking about is red letter Christianity. The old Bibles uh, highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we like asking the question, what if Jesus really meant that stuff? What if he meant that we're to love our enemies and sell what we have and give it to the poor, to live without anxiety for tomorrow? And uh, yeah, so that, that's what we're up to. And we've got yeah. a great guest this week. We, we have uh, a lot of guests. Sometimes it's just Tony and I, and sometimes we get to talk to incredible people. And uh, we, we've got uh, Matt Laidlaw. Uh, who has done all kinds of stuff. He was the pastor at uh, Mars Hill in Grand Rapids. Very uh, famous church here in the United States. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he he is right now um, uh, written a book, How We Read the Bible, Eight Ways to Engage the Bible with Our Students. Has done a lot of work thinking about uh, youthfulness in the church and how we continue to reimagine uh, faith in a way that invites young people uh, he's the dean at a, a Calvin Christian High School, um, doing doing some cool stuff out there in the middle of uh, the Reformed world in in uh, Michigan. So welcome, be, Matt. He may be in the Reformed world, but he's uh, uh, working hard on con- contemplative Christianity, studying with our good friend Richard Rohr out there in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, we got to hear about that eventually, The Living yeah. School. Beautiful work. Uh, hey, man, thanks for joining us, Matt. He's written a book, hey. and we're going to talk Thank about you. that book, How We Read the Bible, Eight Ways to Engage the Bible with Our Students. Uh, okay, so the first question, why and uh, what is it all about? Uh, when it comes to the Bible, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the book in respect to those questions? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you both so much for having me. Um, it's, it's great to be in a conversation with you both. Um, yeah, th- this book, How We Read the Bible, really is, is a combination of, um, I think, two unique aspects of, of even my own story. One is uh, my own sense of calling to youth advocacy and advocacy for young people in our, our broader culture and also within the church. And then also the, the fact that I have just always been a Bible nerd. Um, I love the weirdness of the Bible and the questions uh, that the Bible provokes and the beauty of the way of Jesus. And uh, in my story in youth ministry, I just continue to discover that uh, the the complexity of the Bible um, really uniquely meets the complexity of the stories of young people. And when we unleash them, um, actually give them freedom to open their Bibles, ask questions that maybe aren't safe in a lot of communities that not only does the text come alive, but faith can come alive uh, in our young people, in our in our Christian communities. Could you give us an example of that? You know, uh, young people reading the Bible and coming up with things that are outside the normative ways we interpret Scripture. Sure, absolutely. Um, so there was a, a time I was with a, a group of students, and uh, we had sort of just unplugged youth group. So we sort of killed the program, and we just spent uh, the summer just looking at the parables of Jesus. And uh, in Luke uh, chapter 11, I believe, the Ask, uh, Seek, and Knock passage, um, I had prepared some content. 
we read the story together. I asked students to just fill a whiteboard with questions that they had. And, uh, you know, we started talking about prayer and I sort of went on this, this rabbit trail of, uh, Hey, this is, uh, what, how prayer works. Like these are the things that, that Jesus is talking about here. And students just started to interrupt and said, no, 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 no. The, Jesus isn't talking about how prayer works. Like Jesus is showing us a map for just how we're supposed to do it. He's not answering questions about what's happening on the divine end of things. Like we're supposed to pray with persistence. We're supposed to um, have this sort of tenacity in, in how we live and pray. And for me, it was just this like undercutting moment of like, oh, wow, all my seminary training of bringing this into complex theology and what practices look like. And, and here this, this group of 14 and 15 year olds said, no, 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 all this story is, is Jesus saying like we're supposed to kick down that door. That's that's all Jesus is talking about here. For those who are radically, go ahead. For those who are just tuning in, he's referring to a passage in Luke where Jesus says, "Ask and you'll receive; knock and and it shall be opened unto you." That's what you're referring to, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Um, Go on. It just radically reoriented how I even uh, experienced prayer. It was a whole you know seminary education in just a few minutes given to me by teenagers. There you go. So, you know, one of the things that we've said, uh, Matt, and been pretty confident about is that we're losing young people in the evangelical church, not because we've made the gospel too hard, but because we've made it too easy. You know, that mm-hmm. we've, we've like uh, settled for um, goofy games and smoke machines and, you know, loud music <laughs> is just like, yeah. this is going to be how we reach a new generation for Jesus. And, yeah. um, that that kind of lasts for uh, a little while, but it seems like you're you're going a lot deeper. Tell tell us what you're learning about that. Maybe even where you see some of the um, student ministry flourishing in the in the church. Sure, um, I I really resonate with what you just said about um, you know we've we've made it too easy for young people, and I, I absolutely believe that. Um, and Shane, I think this is your term, like the the religious industrial complex or the Christian industrial complex. Um, when I think about the youth ministry industrial complex, we've, man, we've spent so much time and energy um, trying to simplify and proof text and give students answers to questions that I just don't know if they're asking. And when we've made the Bible about here's 10 verses on why you shouldn't do drugs or other sort of like nice, tidy, moral pieties, um, we've missed the opportunity to help students see that uh, they are invited into a grand story that is absolutely countercultural to the one that maybe has been prescribed for them, maybe even prescribed for them in their religious communities, and that the Bible actually is asking something of them. Yeah. Um, now, now I would, and, just to push back a little bit, like, yeah. you know, Kanye West just did the, the Coachella show and he, you know, had <laughs> sweatshirts that said Holy Spirit on them for like 250 bucks each. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just like uh, the Lifeway Christian scores or, stores or something that, you know, have now gone sure. bankrupt. But um, it does seem that like there are a lot of young people that kind of are into the Kardashians and just... Uh, um, you know, this kind of narcissistic gospel too. So h- how do you reconcile that? And where do you, where do you, how do you think we correct some of that? Simplify that a little bit before he answers. Uh, narcissistic gospel. Well, I, mean. I, ju- I, ju- I think that there, <laughs> there is something about uh, just um, 
consuming Christianity or consuming stuff. I mean, I look at a lot of uh, young folks and we we are losing some of our ability to interact uh, with each other through technology and through kind of living vicariously, you know, letting, like like looking at all these folks that are doing cool stuff around the world. But um, when it really comes to being uncomfortable, um, none of us, you know, it's, it's not the, the call to follow Jesus and die still doesn't draw a crowd, you know? Yeah, it doesn't. Go right. ahead. Respond to that, buddy. Yeah. Um, so I continue to encounter young people who, and in West Michigan, so Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, here in the United States, it's a, a very um, religious community. And all the kids I work with and have worked with the past 12 or 13 years or so, many of them have grown up in the church. Um, and they know how to speak the language, um, but they find themselves sort of living out the larger consumeristic um, American story, if I can oversimplify it and, and be a little cynical there, which I apologize for, um, and is over uh, as much of an oversimplification as it may be, I continue to find myself essentially making two columns um, when I talk with, with, with kids about things. One is, here's maybe what the church represents for you or has taught you, and now let's see a contrast to what maybe Jesus talks about oh. Um, and when we see dissonance there, let's actually dive into that dissonance. And for the young people that I work with, there continues to be this sort of awakening for them of, oh, wow, um, Jesus is actually talking about something different. Uh, and maybe this whole thing isn't just about me going to heaven someday when I die, or my group being the most chosen or most loved, or me being the most right about what I believe, um, it, there's no us versus them. There's just us. This is about losing my life so I can find it. Um, this is about uh, giving what I've been given away. Um, I haven't been given what I've been given because I'm chosen or better or more loved. I've, I've been given this as an instrument to bring shalom into the world. Um, and that doesn't draw crowds. Um, well, you've used a lot of expressions there that I think we need to spell out for our listening audience uh, sure. You you said uh, you know it's not just about going to heaven, which is what many of us get from church and in the evangelical tradition. Get saved. You got a ticket to go to heaven. Are you sure you're saved? If you were to die today, would you spend the rest of your eternity with Jesus in heaven, or would you be elsewhere, i.e., hell? Uh, but rather to establish shalom. What does that mean? Yeah. So I I, I think for many of the young people I work with. Uh, church is about um, life after death, and there's a map to get there. Um, but the more um, I've dug into what Jesus is talking about and what Jesus' word, actual words were about, um, I've discovered with young people that Jesus wasn't talking about uh, going to heaven someday when we die. It's about bringing heaven to earth here right now, and that all that is broken or destroyed distorted uh, in our world that we're called to bring wholeness, peace, love to that situation, um, and to be those agents of change uh, in the world. Good, good. So uh, we're talking with uh, Reverend Matt Laidlaw uh, out in Grand Rapids area in Michigan. Um, and Matt, you've kind of used some new language that uh, this idea of being inclusively Christian, and you 
started um, your community out there with that language, the open circle community. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and what, and especially what you mean by inclusively Christian. Yeah, an open circle community, I imagine, is a group of Christians coming together, a kind of attempt to be a New Testament church. Spell that out for us. Sure. Um, first, I'll say that it grieves my heart that we needed to intentionally put the word, the adjective inclusive in front of the word Christian. Um, but what we found over the past few years that in our political conversations in the United States, in our theological and religious conversations, um, that there has been a level of intensity that everyone is feeling. And uh, I keep running into people who are feeling like they have to choose between uh, Jesus and their politics or choose between Jesus and their church or choose between Jesus and their family and friends because of just the the sort of intensity and divisiveness that has been happening in these conversations. And a, a few of us uh, who we just playfully call a, a group of unlikely collaborators have gotten together and just said, we don't think, 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 think we, we have to choose. We think that the way of Jesus is so beautiful and so inclusive and that Christianity was meant to be a container that can hold all perspectives and beliefs and even religions. Um, so we have just gathered around a few simple practices um, saying, if, if you think that uh, the way into the spiritual life is through the concrete human experience, and if you think the love that Jesus talked about can hold all, um, let's begin to gather around that and see what might emerge. Okay. Uh, one of the hottest issues of our time right now, and uh, we're all dealing with it, is uh, the gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, sure. uh, Q people. Uh, when you say inclusive, and you're mm-hmm. you're trying to be, I'm reading about your uh, circle uh, church there, open and affirming. How does that relate to that particular issue uh, of sexual orientation? Yeah, um, for us, out of the gate. We just said it's it's not an issue. Um, that it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what's been done to you or who you love or who loves you. That um, we are all uniquely made in the image of God, and that uh, that uh, our sexuality or identification or our beliefs are not some sort of marker that would exclude us from the love of God and the love that's that's meant to be experienced in not only Christian community but human community. So um, when we say inclusively Christian, we, we mean fully inclusive um, and affirming. I got you. Uh, now, uh, you uh, have your uh, Christian school uh, where you're teaching there in uh, Granville, uh, Michigan, uh, a, a center of Calvinistic theology, interestingly enough. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, your school has chosen uh, the phrase for the theme of the year. Red Letter Life. Needless to say, Shane and I jumped on that. We're trying to promote Red Letter Christianity, uh, which our listeners can find out about by going to our website, redletterchristians.org. Check it out. This movement spreading across the United Kingdom now, as well as spreading across the United States. Red Letter Life. Why did you choose that? Yeah, um, well, obviously... Yeah, the work of both of you impacted <laughs> why we chose that. Um, it's, it's your phrase, and it's super compelling. Um, 
But what we discovered is that in the midst of these same sort of divisive conversations and the intensity around what it means to be a human, a Christian, and an American right now, um, we just wanted to spend a year with our students and our staff just really focusing on what did Jesus actually say? Let's peel back the beliefs and even some of the traditions and dogmas and doctrines that uh, can divide or even raise um, unhelpful questions and just, hey, look, let's just spend some time with the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, but let's spend some time actually talking about the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, the question I would raise is, you know, you're really putting a strong emphasis on being inclusive and bringing people together and uh, doing away with the polarization that seems to be uh, permeating both people in the United Kingdom and here in the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jesus has some interesting comments on all of this. Uh, Think not, he said, that I have come to bring peace. I've come to bring, bring a sword. I'm going to set mother against son, son against mother, father against uh, father against son, mother against uh, daughter. I'm going to I'm going to be creating divisions. Think not that I have come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. I've come to do the great divide. How do you put that together with this inclusiveness that you're talking about so eloquently, especially in this book, how we read the Bible? Uh, how do you put that together? Well, um, I I would humbly submit, uh, and then I want to be really careful because, you know, Christians have been spending hundreds of years debating what um, Jesus meant by these statements. But what my experience tells me is that uh, the way of Jesus ultimately brings about division um, because not everyone has eyes to see and ears to hear. And I want to be really careful with that because we can get into hierarchy and arrogance and, oh, I can see and you can't see, or I can hear and you can't hear. That's not what I mean. But um, what we've discovered um, with Open Circle Community, um, what we've discovered at Calvin Christian High School is we've tried to work through a more inclusive and generous um, spirit that we think embodies the way of Jesus. Um, there's an initial like gravitation towards it. And then uh, there's, there's pushback. There's blowback. Um, there is division around inclusion because um, it it costs too much for some people. Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about, because I, I'm curious about your experience at Mars Hill. I've been there many times, you know, especially when yeah. uh, uh, Rob uh, Bell was pastoring there and Don Golden, who's the director, you know, at Red Letter Christians. Uh, you all probably know each other well. He's, mm-hmm. um, you know, was uh, a, a part of your staff there and. Um, but, you know, that that was a, a hard thing to hold together. I mean, you got Betsy DeVos there as an elder. You've got uh, folks that, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you're holding some tensions, I would think. Uh, as tell, a, as tell, an, tell the folks over on the other side of the pond who Betsy DeMoss, uh, DeVos you, you is. You go ahead. You no, know you her better do it. Than I. Yeah. Hey, Matt, why don't you do that? No, you know, so, yeah, she's, she's you know, the, the uh, cabinet member, head of education um, with Donald uh, with Trump. Donald Trump. Now, Very it, much a part of prominent member of the Donald Trump administration. So she's at the Mars Hills Church, and then you have people on the other side. Uh, you talk about being inclusive. That's a rather uh, wide span of thought. And we've got Matt here, who was who was on staff there and navigating all these, so helping lead that community. What did you learn from that, brother? Especially as the politics, uh, like you said, they they kind of reached a breaking point for some folks. Where you go, 
either we care about refugees or we don't, you know, like uh, let's live by love, not by fear. So what does that look like? And what did you learn at Mars Hill? Yeah, um, man, what I what I learned at Mars Hill is that the way of Jesus is possible. Um, what I what I learned at Mars Hill is that um, the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live. Um, and the people who are a part of that community and some of the staff who are still there that I worked with for years, like they're, man, I have so much respect and admiration for them. Um, I think what I also learned is that uh, institutions only have so much of a threshold um, for growth and evolution. And I think uh, Rob, uh, Rob Bell, when he was there, like he pushed and pastored and led and imagined the community so in a way that I don't know if we've ever seen this sort of the growth and evolution of perspective that we saw in a community. Um, but with that comes uh, this reality that institutions only have so much of a tolerance for that. So um, I've grown to see Mars Hill as uh, resembling a movement that was bigger than an institution, that scattered seats, um, that scattered people uh, who are now all over the world uh, doing great things. Um, but obviously there's a reason that, uh, you know, me and others have moved on to try and continue the, the work and the trajectory that we felt like we had been set on um, as we tried to discern what the way of Jesus looked like in that context. Given that reality uh, in your own testimony, why is it that so many pastors end up doing something other than pastoring churches? <laughs> I mean, you talked about oh, Rob Bell. He's not pastoring Mars Hill anymore. Uh, you were yeah. on the staff there in the pastoral staff. Uh, you're running a Christian high school. I continually run across all these people who at one time were pastors and now aren't pastors anymore. And at that point, I myself am guilty. I was once a pastor some 50-some yeah. years ago and now been the, a university teacher at a Christian university, Eastern University. Although he did, did just pick up pastoring that's again. Right, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm back. Mid-80s, you know, yeah, like yeah. why not start yeah. again, right? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> yeah, um, some of the best and most talented pastors I know have moved on from the church or only have sort of one foot still in the door, um, which grieves me for so many reasons. Um, I will say that I think the shift that has happened in the United States that, that I've felt the past two or three years, and I think it's easy to sort of see Trump as the um, symbol of that, um, it has turned up the heat on congregations where do we stand on um, sexual minorities? Where do we stand on refugees? What does it look like to live out the kingdom of God in this political reality, in this tone of conversation? And I'll be honest that um, I think when I say institutions may not have a threshold for growth um, or evolution, I think that's what we're seeing is pastors having to choose. Um, can I be faithful to the red letters, to Jesus and his teachings, or am I going to pastor this church? And hey, but you got you got to be yeah. digging the Pope a little bit, right? I mean, because here's one of the biggest institutions <laughs> in the world, and he seems to be yeah. uh, doing a lot to shine the light of Jesus right now, right? Yeah, Pope Francis is doing an incredible job that, that, of getting not just Catholics but all Christians to take Jesus very seriously. Uh, we actually sent him a letter and asked him whether he wanted to sign up as a red letter Christian. <laughs> <laughs> You did like it. You you invited the Pope to a red letter altar call. That's yeah, that's amazing. right. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I I absolutely am not saying that we have to choose between Jesus and the Church. Uh, but what I am saying is that for many, 
um, in local contexts that uh, it became actually it would become actually pastorally irresponsible for pastors to stay in those congregations because uh, the congregation may not be willing to go where the pastor feels called to take them. And I think there's a mix of prophetic and pastoral gifts that needs to be sorted out there. And I do think the Pope is a great example of, I mean, even what Father Richard Rohr talks about is the best critique of the bad is the practice of the better. Pope Francis remains a prophetic voice in the midst of an entrenched, entrenched, beautiful historical institution that is doing so much good, but obviously has so many problems. He practices the better, and in practicing the better, he's offering a veiled critique of all of the ways that the Catholic Church needs to grow, that we all need to grow. We've wow. Been, we've been talking uh, to Matthew uh, Laidlaw. He's written a book entitled How We Read the Bible, Eight Ways to Engage the Bible with Our Students, working with young people in Michigan, but he wants his message to get out to a wider audience than that. Uh, Shane Claiborne and I have been interviewing him. Uh, time has been fleeing, and uh, we're coming near the end of this uh, program. Uh, once again, uh, the name of the show is From Across the Pond. We promote Red Letter Christianity. Go to our website, redletterchristians.org, and find out what Red Letter Christianity is about. It's obviously what uh, Matt uh, Laidlaw is about, and we're grateful that he was on the show today. Uh, blessings on you, brother. Uh, keep the faith. Uh, keep on keeping on, as they say in my church. And uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the show today. Thank you both so much. I'm so grateful. <laughs>